Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? It's a good Tuesday, Andrew. It's always a good Tuesday when you best your rival, when you humiliate your rival. Um, You know, I'm here to dance on the ashes of Manchester United Football Oh, they'll love to hear that. No, no, no. We'll do some analysis on on what they need to do. I hope. Yeah. It's not all going to be a gloat fest. But there will be some gloat. You have to have some gloat. Ah, the sound of podcasts being turned off all over this great nation. No, no, stick with me. I will not. I will not. I will not go too far. Okay, I suppose that's an acceptable compromise. Uh, We should have a fun show for you. Obviously, Liverpool and Manchester United only just wrapped up uh, a little while ago. um, A game with massive implications both at the top of the table and the battle for top four. So we'll talk about what went on in that 4-0 destruction. Um, Liverpool taking it uh, somewhat predictably. I don't know if everyone thought it would look quite like that, but... This is this is the world in which we live right now. So we'll we'll discuss that. We'll give a, a little look back over this past weekend in the FA Cup semifinals. Um, lot to do. JJ, obviously, uh, a little bit of MLS. Matias Almeida out at San Jose. Something that I think he wanted months ago. A long, long goodbye. Yeah, we've got a, a nice mailbag here. Uh, there's a lot to do. This should be this should be a fun one. This should be a fun one. I'm looking forward to this podcast as I as I always am. It's nice to be back in studio as well. Yeah, we're back in studio. I'm home from my trip. You have and, a nice uh, you have a nice color. Yeah, I would yeah. say we were outside the entire time. You usually so. look pale and forlorn, uh, and now that. you look slightly brown and forlorn. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. Um, let's get right into it. No need for pleasantries and silly small talk. Let's just get right into it, JJ. Andrew, if we didn't have pleasantries and silly small talk, where would this podcast be? That's what you got to ask yourself. 4-0. Yeah. 4-0. Are you ready for a statistic that I saw? Maybe you've seen this already. I Go don't on. know. Liverpool have scored four more goals against Manchester United four times in the Premier League era. Three of those in the last year. Yeah. I mean, if that's not a stat that says everything about both clubs, really, where United are and where Liverpool are in this current era. Uh, 4-2 last May, 5-0, of course, in October, and then 4-0 today. Uh, the other one, I think, was in 2009. Four, uh, 4-1. Oh, it was 4-1 at Old Trafford. Yeah. yeah. And a, uh, the only r- title before 13-14 that I thought Gerrard and Carragher were, were going to get, mm. but United ran away with it in the end by a couple of points. Look, I was going into this one with the natural supporter's head on me, and a, a supporter's head that's been conditioned by oh, 20 years of fearing Manchester United. So that never fully goes away. So I'm like, wouldn't it just be them to put a spanner in the works and kind of end the title race prematurely for us? And lots of people were telling me, no, it's, it's no way that can happen. Have you seen them lately? And I have seen them lately. It wasn't that United were, were bad. It's just that Liverpool were on another planet. I can't remember the game where you said, this match was like watching an FA Cup tie between a Premier League side and a League One side. Uh, it was Everton. Uh, which Everton beatdown was it? It was a reason. I don't know that it was the Tottenham 5. It might have been Tottenham's 5-0 over oh, Everton. Oh, it was. I think you're right. There was times, particularly in the first half, where it was like, United are just, they're not, they're not good enough. There's been a, a kind of a, I'd say we spent about 10 years in TV where it's 
basically been reality TV shows about somebody who can't do something being matched against someone who can. Mm-hmm. You know, like Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. Things like that. And halfway through an episode of Kitchen Nightmares, you're, you feel like saying to Gordon Ramsay, you're a Michelin-starred chef. Right. Don't shout at this <laughs> poor person in Mayo Pack who's trying to keep the little Italian restaurant they have going because they're not as good as you. They're just not as good as you. End of show, let's watch something else. And that is kind of what I felt tonight. There was a skill gap, a, a organisation gap, just a basic and even intensity gap that was was just, it was unbelievable. The only flaw in your analogy yes. is... What you're describing would be if Liverpool did this to, like you said, a League One side, a League Two side, a non-league side. A chef from Mayo Pack. Not only are they doing this to a Premier League side, it's a, I mean, look, we, we know what United are this season, but the fact remains, it's an enormously expensive side with world-class players. Uh, well, yes. One, yes. No, no. Let's, let's, let's call a few things out. If I'm going to admit one thing where I was wrong about Manchester United in this whole saga... It was about that somebody other than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could get more out of this team. I think I was wrong. I think there are players there who are irredeemably bad. Are, that's not fair, irredeemably bad. Not up to the level to play at Manchester United. Dallo, Wan-Bissaka, Matic, too old. Maguire, right now, not good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elanga, based on tonight shouldn't be at that club, even though I know... There's weren't a, saying that a month ago. A, a, a lot, yeah, a lot of He people, was on our short list of, when we went through the list of, okay, who are you yeah. keeping from this club? We had like four guys. He was one of them. Based on... Oh, but tonight. Tonight he was atrociously bad. And in basic basic things that you need from a player, he didn't have them. Marcus Rashford, he's not up to it. Bruno Fernandes spent most of the game morning. We know his talents. But it's it's... I think the collection of players that we have or that we put together in our minds is is less at Manchester United who are who are actually of the world class level. Well, they're not the chef from Mayo Pack though, is what I'm getting at. They at least own a restaurant in in, in some hotel in Manhattan. They're on they're okay, we'll give them the Lower East Side. All right, fine. Um before we go too deep on the the Manchester United side of it, I do want to uh, my initial aim here was to say, look, we've we've kind of said all there is to say about United. Uh, We've done multiple episodes detailing where they are. I I don't know how much is left to be said. I I do have a couple things before we get out, but my my primary aim was to kind of look at Liverpool here because they that's fine. I'm fine, but because they are now top of the table for the first time I think since mid October, Mm. Um, and then they went through a period of time where they weren't bad necessarily, but City were so good that we kind of wrote all this off and didn't think that the day that we're living in right now would happen. Now Manchester City do play tomorrow. So we'll they're see. at home to Brighton, right? So there could Brighton, by the way, have had a lot to say over various races over the past couple of weeks. Brighton, uh, good team, can't score except when it comes to Tottenham Hotspur and and Arsenal. Yeah. Don't, don't don't forget about them. Um, but here Liverpool Liverpool are they're top of the table right now over Manchester City. Thirteen game Premier League unbeaten streak for Liverpool. Longest active such streak in Europe's top five leagues. Longest single season unbeaten streak. Um, for them since that run of back, what, August of 2019 to February of 2020, when we went through a stretch where we didn't think they were going to lose at all. We thought we were looking at another Invincibles. Watching the game today, 
I mean, this is maybe this is lowest common denominator, low hanging fruit, whatever. But the thing that jumped off the screen for me is Sala. Uh, I thought his performance was amazing, and I wanted to talk about him because we're coming, we're kind of coming out of a weird stretch for him. Sure, we all know what the first two-thirds or so of the season was. It was a coronation of him as the world's next great player. He was going to waltz to every domestic award there is. Uh, He was on his way to waltzing to a Ballon d'Or. And then Africa Cup of Nations happened, and you can kind of break his season down into before that and after that. So leading up to the Cup of Nations, he had played 26 games for Liverpool in all competitions. He had 23 goals and 9 assists. He He was the best player in the world. Then, since then, the mm. devastation of, of losing that the way that they did. And the World Cup playoff. Which occurred later, but yeah. sure, you can factor that into this as kind of all part of that. Um, 15 games before today in all competitions post-AFCON. Five goals, three of which were penalties, and two assists. He was not the same player. Whether that was the toll that that took on him physically uh, whether it was some kind of mental toll. We talked about the first couple months of the Premier League season and all those England players that lost in devastating fashion, how none of them looked right. Mm. Uh, so, you know, Salah might have just lived that experience except in the middle of the season. Or maybe this was just kind of reverting to the mean somewhat. There was no, like, we thought he was going to remain on that kind of Messi, Ronaldo-esque pace for the entire season. And while he might be the best player in the world or a top three player in the world, it may be a lot to ask him to have been that. So he went through the stretch where it was just not – Liverpool continued to win, but from him it wasn't what we had been seeing. Then today happened, and I wonder now if a switch went back on and we will get that Mo Salah again for the remainder of this year. And if we do, this title race could be even more fascinating than it already yeah, is. Yeah, and, and there was even a couple of times tonight where you thought he's not quite at it, believe it or not. Yeah, there was one ball that I, I thought he was being played in, and he kind of, his first touch, he kind of let it slip behind him. Yeah. Um, but – he had a pretty good game, though. I mean, his first touch for that... Let's talk about the second goal for a second. Uh-huh. Aesthetically pleasing. Oh, all the feelings. <laughs> Just yeah. unbelievable passage of play that really exposed the gap between the, the two sides in, in terms of, of speed of play and intensity and, and skill. And the ball from Sadio Mane, who should also be mentioned in the same breath as Salah, him, Jota, Diaz, really picking up whatever slack, if you want to call it that, from that Salah left in that period you're talking about. Uh, the but, Diaz signing, depending on how the season plays out, the Diaz signing may go down as even more immense than whatever we thought when it actually happened. Yeah. The impact that he's made right away. Yeah. And and, and just adding that that extra depth to that squad and to that attack and the, the core triumvirate, um, although that has changed with the, the kind of fluctuating position of Roberto Firmino. But the pass from Mane, the first touch from Salah was like the guy who was full of confidence from before Christmas or mm. whatever period you want to look at. Just sublime. And then the finish, the kind of almost half-volleyed finish. into the, What a goal. What an unbelievable goal. And then the first goal, if you want to talk about that, now Maguire gets way too tight or just gets into a no-man's land behind Mane. You either have to get really tight and, and literally not let him turn or hold your position. Did you see how Salah, I think he outpaced Trent Alexander-Arnold. They were pouring forward uh-huh. and he just sprints to take control of it. And, and the weight of the pass for Diaz was just absolutely perfect. You might be right. If Salah is, if the switch is clicking again, how important is that going to be as they continue to fight on these three fronts? I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I mean, we, we've now talked... he could have had a goal at the weekend, 
quite easily in fact he should have that one where he clipped it over Stefan and it hit the side net in the cup semi-final but we'll, we'll save our save our notes on that yeah I mean look we've talked about the, the more difficult run in that Liverpool have over the remainder of the season as opposed to Manchester City but like I said last week when we talked about it there's no team right now that they can play where I will say to you I don't think they're going to win that game that's just that's the level that they're at right now we've talked about you know their Champions League matchup being no offense easier comparatively than what Manchester than what Manchester City have in Real Madrid. Good evening has something to say about that. Spitting upward. Yeah. Don't want to spit upward. Um so we'll see. But they're look, them and Man City I think are the two best teams in the world right now. They just happen to be in the same league. I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. It's it's it is startling having watched the last two City um and Liverpool, you know, battles over the last week. And then to watch another game of football in the Premier League, there's there's a gap at the top for sure. Yes, certainly uh, the quadruple. I know that you don't like to talk about these things, but it has to be talked about simply because at, at some point before the season, before all this started, Liverpool. I guess there were odds on it. Right. I, I'm surprised that there even were that that's something. But apparently, have you seen betting in football and its grasp? <laughs> but apparently, you could find odds at three thousand to one for for Liverpool to have done the quadruple. Now, before this game, so as of yesterday, I don't know if it's changed in the wake of this. It was now down to seven to one. That is. That seems really like slashed odds. <laughs> considerably slashed I mean, odds. they're basically... Now, look, I don't know if that's just them trying to play on the emotions of, of an enormous fan base and try to get their money. Uh, no, Andrew! And, and it's, it's to do something that they think they're not going to do. But I look at 7-1 to one and I say, okay, that, that's now... It's now reasonable. It's now very reasonable. If those are the odds we're talking about, that this is this is an attainable thing now. There, there seems like there's... Like, you can see the end of the season in sight. But there seems to be so much football left, like yes, so much, and it's hard for me to when I when I think how close Manchester United came in the treble winning season, which is the only thing we have to compare to what Liverpool are attempting to do now. And I've seen them, how many times they they came close to like tripping up on their various paths, even right on the final day at Old Trafford when Tottenham scored first. That makes me think that this, especially at this high level. At this time of fatigue and tiredness, I know what you're going to say. Well, you know, Liverpool have assembled a squad now to maybe do it. They are not as fatigued and tired as the team that they are battling uh, in Manchester City. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. And there was certainly evidence of that at the weekend. Um, but but just to circle back to what I'm saying, I just see, I do see errors. I do see mistakes. But it's definitely, if, if the odds, odds are slashed, I can see why. Certainly, I can see why. Would you just... It, you you kind of as a fan you retire almost right like oh there's what else where do you go from that you don't retire <laughs> but this sustains you through any yeah. bleakness you're right somebody once said to me after the Eagles finally won a Super Bowl and they were like so that's kind of are you done now and I was like done like it's never been more fun to yeah. be a fan like yeah. this is as, this is what it's about I, I'll never stop next so, season can go in in the trash can because right. you've got that to carry you the whole way through and exactly. this, this will be such an un, an unprecedented thing to do for Liverpool or and, anyone or anyone it will be just a oh, I can't my tiny feeble brain cannot fathom the just the uh, notion of it JJ Einstein's brain couldn't process it's not a thing that happens Einstein, we'll Einstein was a rugby man everyone knows that we'll see what we'll see where it goes now uh to the other side of this I did say there were a couple United things uh first off I guess 
before getting, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Paul Pogba. Before we get to that, though, let's go with the specifics from today. Okay, we're talking about Liverpool. Um, the United players all basically, you know, Bruno Fernandez talked after the game and, and said that we are not that. Like that was a dip, what we played today is is, a, is on a different level of where we are. Ralph Ragnick kind of echoed uh, that sentiment. Here he was after the match. What, what can you say to the fans tonight? Yeah, it's embarrassing. It's it's completely disappointing, in a way also humiliating. But yeah, we, we just have to accept they are, I would say, six years ahead of us. Uh, um, when you compare that squad that Liverpool has with the one that uh, Jürgen inherited when he came six years ago, I think uh, at the end of the, his first season they finished eighth, had a point average of 1.6. This is roughly where we are right now with our current team. So that this team needs to be rebuilt is clear and I think a game like the one today showed that even in a very, in a very drastic way uh, that this rebuild is necessary. It's a fascinating quote. Because oh, when I yeah. when I first heard it, it almost felt like he was sh- trying to he was almost shading Liverpool by saying, "Well, you know, they were they were once this too," but like when I hear it again, it it's kind of a rational it is a rational thought. He's saying that, well, yeah, they're 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 in the midst of what they had been building towards. Yeah. We're at the front edge of that way, or we're not even at the wave yet. What we have to do is break this apart to even get to the point where we can start the rebuild. Right. He said Liverpool went through it. They went through their rebuild. When Klopp got here, they were not the finished product. They were kind of where we are now. So, yeah, while 4-0 might have been not what we hoped for, we the sentiment I get is that he, him, the players, they all kind of thought, yeah, this, this, this is about right. Yeah, I mean, this guy is not afraid to to just rip this team and to tell people exactly what he thinks about it, which is great, but probably something that's needed upstairs. And I keep thinking that he's in the wrong job right now. Uh, just one thing I would say uh, about Ranić versus Klopp and at the s- Liverpool were this and they were that at the start. Liverpool, uh, definitely, the overhaul of the squad was important. The players they brought in was important. The way they changed things. But the change in style of play and mentality was instant. From that first game of Klopp's against Tottenham. Bring that to Manchester United now. Manchester United couldn't even press in concert last night or tonight. That that's what that's Ranick's DNA. It's the mm-hmm. DNA he gave to Jurgen Klopp. They couldn't do that. So when Ranick talks about overhauling the squad, that's all of them gone. This is going to be Yes, but but it's what going to have to be But there were growing pain like he said Liverpool Okay, maybe in that game versus Tottenham. No, but no, there no, were, no, but there were growing pains. No, but, but, but for the new style, they were, yep. And I, I suppose a lot of players had to go. New ones came. Went in. to you. Went to a Europa League final that year as well. Knocked out Manchester United. Knocked out Dortmund on the way. All I'm saying is that there there was a much quicker uptake of Klopp's ideas than there than there seems to be under Ranić. Now Ranić's probably the players probably realise. He's not going to be here. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be that guy. But is he going to be the guy going upstairs? Is he going to have this two-year consultancy? And that is my key question about Eric Ten Hag coming in, Andrew. I tried to think of reasons why I wouldn't like the signing. Because instinctively, I think he's a good hire for Manchester United. And the reasons I came up with is that the situation that he's had at Ajax will not be replicated at Old Trafford. And that's why he'll fail. Not because he's not good enough, but because he won't be given the tools or the conditions to work in. 
That he, would really be a shame. He if, ha- if the people overseeing this have not been humbled in any way by this experience and by, but it's not by about, seeing what they've become but it's, it's to not, the point where they, they feel a need to change their methodology in team building, that would really be unfortunate yeah, for this but, club. But I, I, I think it's not methodology. It's not them being hum- humbled. It's who has the, the knowledge and the, the uh, aptitude and the skills necessary to get the club in the shape that Ten Hag needs to bring it forward. Liverpool put that in place for Klopp. What are they going to do? Are they going to bring Van der Sar from Ajax? Are, they can't take. No, probably not. No. Mark Overmars was absolutely key to everything that happened under Ten Hag, mm-hmm. to the point where they had an announcement video when Overmars resigned. Like, who does an announcement video for your football director, your sporting director? <laughs> Nobody. Now, since then. Overmars has been sacked because he sent inappropriate messages to other members of staff at Ajax. But Royal Antwerp have signed him up in the Belgian League. Now, I know visually it would have been very hard for United to go and sign someone who just recently yeah. been relieved of his duties. And do, But my point being is there won't be an Overmars. There won't be a van der Sar. There's going to be a different iteration of the guys that were already there. There's no Ed Woodward, but there's someone who was there under Ed Woodward who is now going to be Arnold, who's now the... The head honcho at United. Uh, Ten Hag a good hire, but like Ragnick's alluding to, the overhaul is on the field, but it needs to be in, at the boardroom level, and I'm not convinced that's happened yet. One good sign for United with Ten Hag, to go on a little mini tangent, uh, Ajax, in hearing comments coming out from that club this past week, they sound almost desperate to keep him. Mm. Like, they haven't necessarily conceded that this is over yet. I mean, it's over. It is. He's going to go to United. But the fact that Ajax seemed to be kind of fighting for him to stay lets me know, okay, well, they clear, like, clearly they think that he's not just a prop out there who has benefited from, like you're talking about, guys in, in the boardroom who are making decisions on which players come in and out. He's They clearly value the job that he's done there. Or maybe so, they look at it and think, we can't absorb two key losses uh, like Overmars and Ten Hag in, in, ten months, in a 10-month space of time. Who do we replace these guys with? How do we start again? Maybe yeah. maybe that's their thinking. So one of the players who was kind of supposed to, when, when the Sir Alex era ended, um, you know, all the transition going on at United, they, they splurged cash, they went for it, and Paul Pogba was kind of supposed to be that driving force who led United into the next era. Um, that has obviously not happened, clearly. No. And in some ways, uh, he has almost become, I mean, there are many faces to this failure, but he is prominently one of them. He's the on-field general of this failure. I I believe so. And it all came to a head over the weekend. Uh, He was subbed off. He was booed. um, He was jeered tonight as well when he came off He came off after 10 minutes tonight with an injury. uh, And it is, it's now feeling like we've, we've gotten to almost a point of no return in terms of what his future is at United. And after this past weekend against Norwich, uh, Ragnick, in some ways reprimanded the crowd who booed him and basically said, I, this doesn't make sense, why why he's being treated this way. And I'm wondering if that comment is off base. I, don't, I do not believe that the fans are wrong in assigning blame somewhere for, what, right. for what's going on. And, I mean, look, let's, let's be honest about his time at that club. It's been dotted with total inconsistency with his own flirtations about leaving and wanting to go to other clubs comments like i don't know how to tackle so why should i be expected to do it 
Comments like, I've wasted the la- the best years of my career here, which he said only in the last two months to the keep. And what's made it, what's compounded the frustration of all that is that it's also been dotted by brief moments of brilliance. And winning a World Cup. And total brilliance with his international team in France. And so the fans have gotten a taste of what it could be, but it's never been consistent. And I think finally they've had it. Uh, and I, as a fan myself, I mean, look, Ragnick is a manager. He has to relate to these players on a different level. I understand that. But as a fan, that is what I relate with, and I and I get it. I get why they feel the way that they do and why he heard it from them. And also his injuries, too, has robbed him. When he's got into a good run of form with United, he has gotten injured and not been available. And so... When you add those comments in together and you add in low performance levels, fans get frustrated. This is how, this is how it works. And the traveling support were, they, I saw the V sign being sent up as he was walking off, like as if, just get off. And while it's not Pogba's fault that he's on the money that, he, that he's on and that he costs what he costs, that's not, that's, be mad at the club, don't be mad at Pogba. But you can't remove that from the equation. Like, it's all part of it. He costs a, a fortune for them, and they haven't gotten anything remotely close to their return. So, yeah, yeah. part of that is the guy is going to get booed. That's it's, part of that making that salary is you you shoulder that burden. Europa League under Mourinho aside, it was, it was hard to see how there was any success from this move. I don't think there was at all. No, and, and by the way, as a fan of the sport, I'm not a United fan, but as a fan of the sport— and seeing what he was capable of at Juve and at France and in those moments at United, I feel robbed too. I think because it, he can be such a joy to watch. But I think it was like if you look at Didier Deschamps, he had a clear idea of what he wanted to do with Pogba, and he put him in there and he did it. Uh, if you look at Juventus, some of Pogba's best moments were in a midfield that was sur- he was surrounded by talent, and he could kind of be a little bit freer. Now that all came crashing down in a European Cup final, which we saw where he was not at the races, but none of that Juve team were in that instance. But United kind of bought him, much like they bought Sancho, without knowing what to do with him. Ah, good player, does X or Y. How does he fit into this? Well, there's nothing to fit into. There's no team body. There's no ethic. It's like, again, don't want to go back to Liverpool, hammer people over the head with Liverpool as this great example, but Diaz, you see how Diaz fits in. Jota, they could see how Jota fitted into that front three. These were parts you could bring in. And even, you know, Thiago Alcantara, who tonight, by the way, was... Uh, he was applauded off the field and he, he lingered a bit as he walked off. He took his time. He deserved it. It was one of the best performances I've seen. But he took a little while to settle in and people were sure, was he a good signer? Yeah. Now... He's gotten his fitness and his intensity levels up where he's making interceptions, he's contributing. But they all fitted into a vision for the club. This is a club with no vision buying good players. And th- and this is the end result of it. Carl Anka from The Athletic wrote this about Pogba and the reception that he got over the weekend. He said, Watching the same series of underwhelming events take place year on year can frustrate even the most patient viewer. So upon being substituted against Norwich City on Saturday, a section, a section of United fans let it be known that they had had enough. And I get it. But that's fair. You can't, these are people who, you know, follow the club everywhere. You know, they spend mm-hmm. thousands a year. They have a right to, as long as it doesn't cross the line into some personal or, or racist or xenophobic abuse, which I don't believe this did, they have a right to air their frustrations. That is the game. Simple as that. And Just for us, how sick are we of the Pogba conversation? It's kind of sickening. It's every year now. Yeah. Is is this uh, year? Yeah. It starts off in August. Is this the year that Paul Pogba comes good? 
gets to November. It's not working out for Paul Pogba. Well, it's because he gets to April. Fans are showing frustration with Paul Pogba. Well, the, Rinse, repeat. But the conversation continues because he teases just enough to kind of have this little piece of bread dangling at the end of the string. The you bread think is, you can get to it. The bread is dangling on the end of an outside of the foot pass that he played against someone. Well, I think he just took the bread off the string and he just threw it down the street. We're not getting to it. No, he, the, the it, bread is gone. It's gone. You're saying. It's, gone. it's gone. Gone into the gutter. Yeah, and maybe A duck this has is, taken. Maybe the bread. this is us retiring the conversation. We will oh, not be fooled God, again. Please now, we'll, God. When we get to the World Cup, France, Pogba. Is a different human He's being. He's a joy. <laughs> it's a, He's different, a different person. Different guy. Um, yeah, I think United fans just thought like this would be their guy who helps them transition out of one glorious era into the next. Like what Hazard did for Chelsea, what De Bruyne did for City. Like these were linchpin players who took them from one great moment in a club history to the next. And Pogba couldn't do it. Could not do it. And it's not just on him. Like we just said, there's a lot of reasons, but he's the face of it. Uh, before we leave this game, JJ, we should mention um, the horrible, sickening news involving Cristiano Ronaldo and the death of his newborn. Um, the scenes were very emotional at Anfield with mm. the uh, the fans singing during the was during the seventh minute. Seventh minute, yeah. Um, uh, you'll never walk alone. In tribute to round him. round of applause. Yeah, uh, horrible. There's, just horrible. Yeah, dreadful. Hard to hard to comprehend that, and um, and no surprise that he wasn't involved tonight. No, how you process pain like that is, no. I don't know. Um, so we'll see when he does return. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was tough news to for anybody to to see. Um, let's see. We so we we go now from that JJ. While we're talking about Liverpool and their performance today against the Manchester United against the Manchester side. Uh, let's, I guess, continue that. The natural transition would be to what occurred over the weekend between Liverpool and Manchester City and a 3-2 win for Liverpool. This could have been also a shorter little segment, uh, but for the involvement, the interjection of an American goalkeeper into the storyline. So that's the thing. We, we kind of just talked a lot about Liverpool. Um, it, I'm sure there's more to say. It was a different. It was a whole other game, so if there's more to say about them, I cede the floor. However, there's an obvious elephant in the room here. It's American. It was in net over the weekend, and we we must address it. I felt like the jokes were flying after it happened, um, and some of them were were funny. But the more I kind of watched it, the more I thought about the magnitude of what had just occurred. Um, a guy who does not play very often, who is now getting a chance to, in spite of what many supporters would have liked for that club, yeah. Um, this is his moment. He's been hearing it from his own fan base in the U.S. You're not getting regular minutes. We can't trust you. I can. Sh- Let me show them. Manchester City fans, you're not our number one. This is a cup semifinal against our biggest rival right now. Let me show them. For that to happen, the more I, I watched the replay and thought about uh, all that stuff, I, I genuinely I felt sick for him. I really felt awful. Awful. It, it was horrifying. I mean, it was joyous for me to watch yeah. it at the time, but, but when you— even when I got to the point of the replay, you, you fell for him. You uh, just want to, like, every time you see the replay, you want to shout to him and say, just kick it now, now! Yeah. Never uh, did, he never did. The first touch wasn't good. The second one didn't happen, so the ball stayed stuck under his feet. Mm. And by the third time, Mane had just pressed him. Um, just a quick one on Liverpool. They started stronger. They were better. Th- oh, their first half was outstanding. They were the better team throughout this game. And the third goal, the, the Mane goal, 
I don't blame Stefan for that one. People were saying, well, he's beaten again on his near post. Andrew, I don't think so. It's arrowed in low and hard. It's hard to get at. He has to, I think he's thinking, if I just gamble a bit towards my right-hand side, he might, that shot might come across the goal. It didn't. And he can't get there. I I think that's one of the best goals of the season in terms of him. It was, it was very nice. And Thiago central to it again. But let's go back to this. Um, I felt terrible for him, but I, I'd be lying if this if this was a wasn't a concern that I have not expressed on this podcast before about him as a goalkeeper. Now I tweeted something that was unfair and a bit insensitive. I said, "What exactly is Zach Steffen good at as a keeper?" Now that's flimsy, but it does speak to a truth. It's it's a bit nasty because he's a player who's reached the the top level of of his sport. Well, almost he's not starting, but he's on one of the best teams in the world. And, you know, you don't get there without some levels of skill. Of course you don't. I just don't know as a goalkeeper what he does extremely well. You know, I can tell you what Ederson does. I can tell you what Alisson does. You can you know what De Gea does. It, um, but it doesn't always look obvious to me. By the way, you can, you can still be really good and not be them. You just named arguably... the. Three of the best, three of the best five or six right. keepers in the world. But even, yeah, but you know, there's some keepers and 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 you like I know Fraser Forster. I know what his strengths are. His strengths would professional tall man. <laughs> his strengths wouldn't be kicking. He's he, you know, he's good coming for crosses. You know, shot stopping. Not all the time. He's a big frame to get down, but he's a. I, I can kind of see something. Whereas with Stefan, I see just little flaws in all parts of his game, and I think partly is. The, or the the reason in part for that is he he doesn't play anymore. Like he hardly plays football. He had that period at um, Fortuna Dusseldorf, where if I remember correctly, he had really good shot stopping percentages. Now that was a team that had a lot of shots taken on it. Mm-hmm. So maybe in the same Pickford way at Sunderland, that can skew the figures a little bit. But you know, we thought talk. You know, this is a player that's playing a lot. He's good. Ever since then, it's been. Not convincing. He doesn't convince me in any element of his game. And the consensus from a lot of journalists back home who have listened to on podcasts was that it was a mistake from Guardiola. Guardiola didn't need to rest Ederson. Whatever about De Bruyne, uh, the other players that he needed to rest, he didn't need to rest Ederson. Yeah. And that's a huge thing for us because that's our manager, Greg Berhalter, that's his number one. So the question that I wanted to ask you about that incident in particular, the second goal, um, did it happen because it's just a fluke? Like you can, after this happened, uh, I forget who it was, but I saw a tweet circulating of literally the best goalkeepers in history. And it was a compilation of of all mistakes, all the mistakes that they had made. So let me just finish the question. Is it, was this a... That was Jimmy Conrad. Yeah, I think it was Jimmy Conrad. As, as, as much right. as much looking for retweets as to as to comfort Zach, Zach Steffen, you know. But it was nice. It was ni- it was comforting to see. It was that like Buffon. It was like, content. All right, but it, but it just was there to show you that like this this does happen. And, sure, and, and so, it's happened to Allison. It, you yeah, know, against. And, the, and so the question that I have is: Did does this ha- did this that mistake in particular? Say what you want about Stefan as a shot stopper or a distributor, but that what happened there was kind of neither of those things. No. So it, was this a fluke, or was this a sign that he's not that good, or that you know that he, because he's not playing often enough 
that's why something like that would happen. Um, I think in that instance, what's happened is his first touch is just, it's just bad. I just want to know if he, does it mean, is that something that, that bad goalkeepers do? And I don't know. No, it doesn't. It, it's even, even goalkeepers that, no, I, that, this was a moment, yes. right? This was a moment, definitely. But what the moment did was, in my mind anyway, exacerbate all the other questions I have about him. Now, I'll still say one of the key moments in World Cup qualifying was his saves against Mexico when it was nil-nil. Huge saves at home in Cincinnati. Big, big saves. But too often in the, uh, was it the Nations League final where Mexico go 1-0 up, that shot that's driven right at him by, was it, I can't remember who was it, Tecatito or whoever took it, goes into the roof of the net. His technique, he's falling backwards. He's not staying big. He's he's going backwards. That's a problem. Um, look at his, he, he should have made a much better attempt at the header against Costa Rica. Look at the first goal against Costa Rica where he comes out, doesn't claim the cross, drops it. Now, I think these are all factors that emerge from a keeper who's not playing regularly. I think he has to go. He, he's he got to go. For well, me, I think he, the decision will be made for him uh, by Manchester City. City have a better goalkeeper than him who's starting regularly in League One for Portsmouth in Gavin Bazunu. And I think he's going to be next in line. Uh, City probably won't keep Bazunu, though. He Bazuno may want to play f- uh, first team football. He'll have a look at what happened to Stefan, and he might think I got to get out of here. No, Bazuno's only nineteen twenty, so maybe that's why Guardiola hasn't promoted him already. But I think City will will move him on. Don't forget his decision. It's not the first FA Cup final mistake he's made. Remember last year, Timo Werner streaking down the left hand side. Yeah. He comes out a goal, panics, then goes to go back and leaves the net empty, and it's it's one nil Chelsea or two nil Chelsea or whatever it was at the time. Doesn't play enough, maybe tightens up then when he's put in these positions. Mm-hmm. And the argument that playing against top class players in training, I remember someone saying, he's got to be our number one because he faces Sergio Aguero every week. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's, it's something, but it's it's not enough. He tweeted afterwards, trials and tribulations, failures and successes, that's life. Yesterday's game is a tough pill to swallow. All we can do is get back up and grow from it. Thank you to all the fans who made the trip. We will work hard to make you guys proud. We move forward. Uh, standard fair I don't know what else he's supposed to tweet I I felt bad for him yeah Uh, for City overall devastating loss um, devastating defeat I I think if City were to give up one competition it would be that one I don't think uh, well yeah if we're prioritizing the league the Champions League and the FA Cup this would be third but that doesn't mean that they want them all especially when it's Liverpool that they're going head to head yeah and I'm not saying they didn't try to win that game (laughs) Uh, but I think they they were suffering from Wednesday night. Liverpool were were had the benefit of being able to rotate their squad. Liverpool were more at it. Um, I tweeted right after it. Entertaining, fun, and two teams that looked absolutely exhausted by the end. Like Andy Robertson couldn't keep up with Ray at Maris for the the second City goal. Mm. Like Liverpool were comprehensively the better team across the game, but for those moments of fatigue, they you know City were able to exploit them. Um, Did you see what Pep Guardiola said today? No. Uh, so I mentioned before how City right now are the more fatigued, banged up side. Guardiola said today that in the wake of the Atletico Madrid matches and the FA Cup, um, the club medical staff had to treat 71 different injuries last week. I mean... 71. Does it shock you? De Bruyne, Walker. I mean, Jurgen Klopp, and he's like probably in... On the, we don't even know what Liverpool are really dealing with behind the scenes, but 
on the face of it, they're in a better position than City. And Klopp is still, he was still beating the drum about this 12-30 game against Newcastle that they'll have to play. So, you know, he keeps saying it, and, and Guardiola says, I agree with Jurgen, but he's not going to bat. He's letting Jurgen do all the talking. Uh-huh. Um, Jonathan Liu had a piece in The Guardian. Do you prioritise continuity, familiarity or rhythm or do you play the long game and try to stretch out your resources as evenly and efficiently as possible? Perhaps unsurprisingly, Klopp and Guardiola have sharply differed in this respect. While Klopp has a trusted hard core of seven or eight first team players, Alisson, Trent, Robertson, VVD, Fabinho, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, Joel Matip, who will start virtually all games if fit, Guardiola has been much happier to rest and rotate all season. It probably cost him this semi-final as a team with seven changes ended up being outmatched all over the pitch. And I think that is that is true. That was the changes he needed to make. He didn't want to risk De Bruyne who had a a wound that was healing. Yeah. So this is where we are. These are two managers who will tell you privately in Guardiola's case, publicly in Klopp's, that this is too much football. But they're desperate to be a part of all of it. Of course, yep, and, and here we are. That's the yeah. deal. That's how it works. Uh, Liverpool's opponent in the FA Cup final will be Chelsea. They get past Crystal Palace 2-0 on Sunday. It's going to be Chelsea's third straight appearance in the FA Cup final. Um, I, I was thinking about that in particular. And, you know, like we've heard for years, we've been doing this podcast eight years, right? Um, and for the majority of that, we've heard this idea that you know, a lot of the big clubs don't take this stuff seriously anymore. It's it's all about the Champions League and the Premier League. Um, but the fact that like it's only for the most part, it, it's usually big clubs that are in this. Is that a like to me? That's got to be a sign that they do take it seriously. It's got to be a sign like that they've got massive squads. You have the two biggest, most uh, well-stocked squads in one semi-final, and you have the team that can go out and spend in a summer two hundred million on players in the other. Also a team that has so many players that one of them was on loan and couldn't play in the semi-final for his team. The best, the best I have thoughts on that. Yeah, Conor Gallagher for Crystal Palace. I think that's what it is. And I think Chelsea would be motivated to try and win this to try and put a gloss on a season that hasn't gone the way they've wanted on or off the field. So I don't think it's... And also, you talk about, well, it's always the big clubs. The smaller clubs, at what risk? Risk to their survival in the Premier League. Risk to their survival. Not every, in, not every smaller club is a relegation. I mean, Watford, candidate. Watford, were, Watford were in the FA Cup final and were humiliated two years ago by Manchester City six yeah. nil. What's the benefit of that for them? Nothing. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. A day at Wembley, it's something. A couple of days at Wembley, right? The semi final also it means something. Yeah, uh, the semi final yeah. shouldn't be at Wembley. I didn't want to get to the Conor Gallagher stuff yet because. Well, hang on to it then. Well, Save I it. was going to get to it here in this segment when oh, we're talking sorry. about the game, but I was just like, I don't want, you know, Chelsea fans. I'm sure think enough that I despise their club. We like so. In well, this, I only in, saw highlights, highlights of this game. So in this moment of triumph, like I wasn't sure that I wanted to s on it that quickly. Uh, I mean, look, you, you say this could put some shine on what's been a, a overall uh, negative experience for them this season. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's true, but this would. If they beat Liverpool in the final, like what can can anything salvage what has been a disappointing season for them? Well, what are we salvaging here? Like Chelsea, the way s- that this season will be oh, remembered. I, if they win a cup, they can they leave with like they'll have a parade, right? They'll I have mean, happier memories. They'll have a manager who's delivered the European Champions League uh-huh. and deli- uh, and an, del- FA cup. and an FA Cup within his brief period in charge. 
Uh, he's not likely to get sacked either because the the well, unless um, Marina Granovskaya continues the the kind of uh, pattern of her de- well, we think departed owner Roman Abramovich, Tuchel will last a little bit longer. Um, yeah, sure. It can. I don't know. You'd have to ask a Chelsea fan what they. You're think right. Of this. Yeah, I guess that's why I asked the question because I think every fan would probably have a different response. I don't know how I would feel if my club dramatically underachieved in the league um, but then won the FA Cup at the end of the season. I don't know. That's that's a tricky one. Um, the the Connor Gallagher... Is it Gallagher or Gallagher? Help well, me, James. Well, the, the Americanized version would be Gallagher, but I don't the want English to say that. I think that Connor Gallagher, but okay. um, he is, I believe, of Irish extraction, so where we're from, it's Gallagher. So I can really say either one and be fine. <laughs> You'd be grand. Okay. Um, so over the years on this podcast, you and I... We have our opinions on things, and I think we start to develop like almost tenets of our belief system when it comes to soccer. You know, for me, in-swingers. It's a tenet of my belief. I believe in in-swingers and in-swingers only. Um, you know, hatred of the Super League, which, by the way, a year ago yesterday was the Super League. I lit a candle for it. <laughs> yeah. I visited the website, which is still up. <laughs> like, we have different uh, – we have a, a belief system within this sport that has grown. This is now. This is a huge tenant of my of my soccer belief system. This has to change. This rule about loaned out players not being able to take part in certain competitions it must change. Yeah. I hate it. It's disgraceful that loaned out players cannot play in cup competitions against their parent club. He's not on your team. Yeah. All right. You made a decision that he could not help you, but now you're afraid to face him. Like you're going to take that opportunity away from a guy to play in a major cup final at Wembley. For a team in which he's a key player, he's not a bit part. He might be the best player on that team. That's not a small thing for him. No, I agree with you. And I also think the bigger clubs doing this is even more oh. just... Ugh. Yeah. Here's what here's what Tuchel said. This is amazing. Uh, he said, I had the chance to speak to Connor, and I could, I could also see his frustration. We met some weeks ago, I think after the national break, by coincidence, in a restaurant. And we had a chat, by coincidence. Connor Gallagher was probably tailing him for weeks. When can I get the chance to try to coax him into allowing me to play? Um, the, the subject came up, and I apologize because I know how competitive he is. I like him a lot. I know his character very well. It was a pleasure to have him here in preseason, and... This is the way it is. We played to win the game, and the rules were clear when we made the loan. I can totally understand Patrick Vieira uh, and his, and also the disappointment of Connor, of course, but these were the rules when we made the loan, and we don't want to suffer from our rules. Coward! Coward! You're Chelsea. You're the reigning European champions, and you're going to prevent a kid from playing an FA Cup semifinal. And then your explanation is, well, those are the rules. You could change them. Like, don't, don't you want to lean on the rules? Change them. The, a special dispensation waiver was sent to you. Don't just say, well, these are the rules. We have to abide by them. No, you don't. You yeah. were asked to change them. Uh, like this, this uh, it's a think, bad rule. It's got to be changed, JJ. Yeah, I agree with you. Do you think this is something, though? Because on the Chelsea side, it seems like it's it's a real, you know, Chelsea getting all these players and then they never kick a ball for Chelsea and they're just satellited around the place. Do you think now with the probably drop in... in in money and disposable money that they have, and maybe this this era is over for Chelsea now. They'll stop doing this. That because I oh, the way I felt was there should be no loan players. Like if Conor Gallagher can't find a spot in that first team, then he is his contract with Chelsea is immediately stopped. Love it. And anyone else can get him on the free market. Love it. 
That's what should be the way it should be. Well, I don't know. You, you mean his contract is torn up and now he's a free agent who can be bought? No, for no, no. Free? They, no, Chelsea, Chelsea can he, sell him. He's got to be sold. Okay. Got he, they have they are duty bound, x amount of, like just in the well, interest. Well, in they, the interest just, of would they fairness, just would they just wind up stocking their youth systems? They're, I mean, they, like, Cubs tried to do that anyway, but um, ju- find a system. The that problem means- is then the player doesn't benefit. Like Connor Gallagher has. Aside from this, him not being able to take part in this cup final, him being allowed to go to Crystal Palace has been hugely beneficial to oh, him yeah. in a way that, you know, him being in a, in Chelsea's youth team wouldn't be. He's been in England squads because of it. Right. So, oh. like, you don't want. So, the loan no, no, system want, does I mean, benefit the player. I, I'm not saying. I mean, the minute that. I just want this rule gone. All right. This is terrible. Like, look, it's one. Who is this good for other than. The big giant here in Chelsea, like it's one thing for players to miss the biggest games because of injuries. We understand that, but like for them to miss the biggest games, a semifinal at Wembley Stadium on a because of a technicality. Yeah, I don't like, like it's it. It's just it's not in the best interest of the sport. It's not Fair. in the best interest for fans. It's not what fans want to be seeing. They in a cup semifinal, you want to see the best players on display, and he's it for for Crystal Palace. You know, you want the best game that you can get, and Palace need all the help they can get when they're going to go against Chelsea. Just felt it's weak. It's just weak all around. I agree. Awful rule. But congrats to Chelsea. They're through uh, to the FA Cup final. Liverpool, Chelsea in another domestic cup final. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Should be fun. It should be fun. It's it's all fun right now, to be honest. All these games are just so tense and enjoyable. It's nice to have things on the calendar to look forward to. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. There's other stuff to look forward to on this podcast. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll do a lot of those things. Are we doing Dice afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. We'll Good, Andrew, because, you know, there's many things I want to say about what's happened at Burnley Football Club. We have Sean Deitch to discuss. We have some MLS news to discuss. We have a mailbag to discuss. Um, battle for top four. Craziness in the Premier League uh, of that to discuss. So there's still a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. JJ, I know sometimes we talk about our adventures with wildlife i had a splendid wildlife weekend i saw a bobcat again across the street from my house wow that is yeah something special else. what 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 size female male well i couldn't tell if it was a female or a male i didn't what, get the chance don't to they, they have different um ears oh is that right i think they have a different finish to the ear or really the, or the tail one of the extremities well, <laughs> I can um, think of there's one extremity. Well, there that certainly is. Oh, oh. Uh, I'm not sure if it was male or female. It was big though. I had seen one once before, and this one was bigger than that one. Was it well, not a mountain lion? But it, it was clearly a bobcat. Big, I mean, big enough to steal your child, Luke. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that any that anyone wants to mess with Luke right now. <laughs> one of the things I was going to say last week about Luke that I had forgot because uh, I was talking about how he he was not his the best version of himself <laughs> in the airport and on the airplane, uh, and I wanted to issue an apology to anyone who may have been in JFK Airport in the JetBlue Terminal at roughly 7.20 a.m. last Saturday. (laughs) If you were wondering why one of the escalators was off, it was him. He's that kid. Sees the button, slams the emergency shutoff button for the escalator. Thank God no one was on it. Oh, it would have been funny, though. Oh, yeah, a riot. Hurtling forward. Yeah, I couldn't believe... I looked... I I saw it stop, and I see him just standing there. What, What... must you everything everything in sight he's that kid i feel like uh 
these tapes of this podcast are going to be played in a therapy session in about 20 years time he's a joy like he's a tr- he, his personality is so fun and full of life and, and everything but it's just sometimes Luke, he doesn't know how to channel all that Luke tell me how your father upset you <laughs> Well, Dad would go on his very popular soccer podcast and just talk about the things that I did. And how did that make you feel? <laughs> I, I won't finish that. I won't thanks, finish that. Thanks. Let's leave it there. I'm an amazing dad. How dare you suggest anything to the contrary? Uh, let's see. We'll get to Deitch in a minute. We'll get to That's uh, good, Andrew, because, you know, we've got things to talk about, about the football club. Relax, Sean. you got plenty of time, all right? All you I got do. Is, all you got is time. All I've got is time, really. You know, just go to the beach and, and relax, really, with my voice. I wanted to do a, a quick MLS bit because a couple things happened that I wanted to just mention here, JJ. Uh, first, Atlanta United FC. Um Terrible news for Brad Guzon, who suffered a, a non-contact injury. You could tell oh. right away, and you thought, uh-oh, ruptured Achilles tendon, Ugh. done for the season. Uh, you feel terrible for him. Obviously, he's 37. That's a tough one to come back from, even at that position. I mean, it's not like he's running up and down the field. and having, But still, it's it's a taxing position. He's on his feet <laughs> 90 minutes uh, so I, some analysis of goalkeeping there, Andrew. That's, that's, really, you know, that's pretty much it. You're standing up for a while. Uh, it's no, it's a disaster, and um, like his age is a factor, certainly in the recovery. And um, I feel like ruptured Achilles tendons are the new ACLs, where ACLs seem to be much more. I mean, they're not ideal, but the the, the Achilles tendon now is the one that gets people going head in hands, long rehab period. But hopefully, he gets back and uh, gets back in the. Uh, the five stripes jersey again. Yeah, of course. This has unfortunately become a thing for Atlanta, who were trying to have, you know, a bounce back season, and they've been off to a decent enough start. But in, the injury bug has found them. Uh, Ozzy Alonso, uh, I believe, done for the year. Joseph Martinez out once again. Um, I saw. I forget who it was that suggested this on Twitter, but turf. Oh, Andrew, don't get me started. Don't even get me started. Don't get me started. Uh, I don't have the stats, Andrew, uh, but there's lots of people who'll tell you regularly playing on a turf surface is not great. But I don't want to do that because I don't have the data in front of me and I don't want to put the good people of Turf America and the big big turf lobby. Yeah, no, you don't, don't want them after you. don't want them on my backs. Uh, also, like we mentioned before, Matias Almeida, his reign as San Jose's manager has come to an end. Um which almost felt joyous for him. It seemed like he was campaigning for this over the offseason, that he such, wanted to be out. It was such a weird appointment because I remember when it happened and we were doing our, our previews and we thought this could be exactly what this franchise needs. Exactly the guy who's going to come in, they're going to run like Bielsa. They're going to man mark. They're yeah. going to be exciting, dynamic. But most of the time it was the opposition who found them all those things exciting and dynamic. I mean, some of the scores, again, I'd have to get the data together. Some of the scores that were racked up against them were monstrous. Well, it felt like they went in like a three-week span where it was Seven, like, six, and five. Right, right. Um, so, like, yeah. And, and they're just off to a dreadful start this season. And, and, you know, they had made, remember, this past offseason, they made some moves. They, you know, they brought in Jamiro Montero from the Philadelphia Union, which was a huge yeah, acquisition for them. He was one of Philadelphia's most important players. Um, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you see, I, I saw, I think it's CBS Sports, they were writing about this. And his desire, it seemed, to be out of that position. <laughs> and, you know, they talked about, some of the curious moves and things that were happening this year. Like putting guys at center back that were Jackson Yule playing center back for them. 
skip, skipping media obligations. And I'm reading all this, and I'm just thinking, he Costanzaed it. <laughs> he did. He Costanzaed it. This was George on Seinfeld. You are looking at the next director of Mets scouting. The only thing is, I have to get fired from the Yankees first. <sighs> you can do that. Of course. But I really want to leave my mark this time. You know, I want to walk away from the Yankees with people saying, Wow, now that guy got canned. <laughs> So you want to go out in a final blaze of incompetence. Remember that summer at Dairy Queen when I cooled my feet in the soft serve machine? Yeah. Oh, and I'm just picturing Almeida, like, with the ice cream vendor. Hey, step a, let me handle this for a Shins second. Shins deep in soft serve. Uh, unbelievable. He might have been one week from that. Did feel like it, though. Even his comments before the start of the season. He were, wanted out. Yeah. He clearly wanted he out. He stands it. Yeah, and he's probably headed back, it seems, to Liga MX, would be my guess, but... Uh, yeah. We'll see oh, where it goes. it's amazing how I can be conned, though, into thinking things will work. Because remember, he took San Jose to the mountains for preseason, I think, and they were doing altitude training. Right, right. And I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, let's see. Before we get out of the uh, kind of the MLS stuff, there was one other thing I wanted to mention, JJ. It doesn't really, I don't know. It was just like a, a, a Twitter thread kind of that I saw. I feel like we need. This doesn't necessarily fit into what we're talking about. We, I feel like oh. we need a new designated segment of just like a thing that we saw on social media in the past week that we loved and just need to shoehorn into the show. Uh, social of the week. Social of the week. Yeah. Sim- yeah, simple as that. We don't need to, I guess, come up with any kind of fancy name. Well, we'll think about one for the, over the course of this and What week. did you see? So I saw this. Um, uh, Andy Gretter from the Pioneer Press in Minnesota because the U.S. Open Cup is this week. It, uh, is. it starts for MLS clubs. And of the Pioneer Press, he covers Minnesota United FC, and he tweeted that the Loons would be rotating the entire squad for Wednesday's U.S. Open Cup match. Oh. And I just saw that to myself. Before I even saw what followed, I kind of had this own thought to myself of, really? Like, really? Yeah. You know, like, that's that's a competition that they could they could win, right? possibly. Like and maybe they're good enough. Maybe their B or C squad is good enough to still get them through against their competition. But like, why treat it like this? But the whole squad. And then, sure enough, off of the tweet from Andy Gretter, I saw USMNT thoughts responded to it, and I thought what they said was fantastic. And they wrote, um, "It's always pretty crazy how fearful MLS teams are of playing multiple competitions in a year. The two teams that make the final will play only six additional games this season due to the U.S. Open Cup. Most will play between two and four. Uh, They have no CONCACAF Champions League games, no League Cup, no Campionis Cup. We're talking at best they'll play 40 competitive matches before the playoffs if they qualify across eight to nine months. Of course, you have to rotate for midweek games, but you should be able to better manage your squad versus playing the B team in your only other chance at a trophy. Simply rotate a three to five players and a sub uh, and sub others during the game, then rotate others as needed on the weekend if those that started midweek aren't fresh enough to start. It's not rock and sides. I think they're right. I agree with all of that. I, I totally agree with it. They're also kind of disrespecting forward Madison, which is the team they're playing, from Madison, Wisconsin. This feels like Minnesota versus... For It feels like a kind of a derby of that region. Well, I mean, that's how this works. Like, you play your regional opponents yeah, in so the like, early why stages. Yeah, so why not have a big build-up for this? Why not, why not go out and try and win it, put on a good performance, show the competition some respect? The oldest soccer competition in American football. And look, we might... We might wind up kicking ourselves. This might be a moot point. They they could get their they could have their cake and eat it too. They might be good enough 
to still win this with ease, have a fresh squad at the weekend for their MLS match, and still make a deep run in this competition. So, you know, maybe we're talking, I'm talking out of my A here, but I just kind of, I just, when I saw that they're going to rotate the entire squad, I was like, ah, that's yeah. really necessary, huh? Well, uh, so we'll see. Someone who's not rotating the entire squad, uh, I'll give you one update because I don't want to ruin it for people, but uh, currently, Columbus in the 39th minute are leading the hipsters' favorite, Detroit City, 1 0. Guess who scored that goal for Columbus? Yeah. Was it? Yes! yes. Others <laughs> respects the cop. Uh, a penalty. Oh. Uh, and that's, uh, that's at Keyword Stadium where there will be some atmosphere. Yeah. They, uh, they like themselves over there in Detroit. As they should. That's cool. Yeah. Cold weather up there tonight, too. I think it was snowing. Was it, where was it? I saw yesterday? It was snowing in Cleveland. All right. Uh, a baseball game got postponed because snow. That was your. April. That was your social of the week. Can I do yeah, mine? Sure. Can I do mine quickly? Oh, you have one too. Oh, it's yes. Like you, it's almost like you knew this was coming. I know. Uh, I just saw this. Can't stop playing it. Uh, those of uh, fans of motor racing will find this particularly funny. Everyone knows Stephen Gerrard begins most interviews by answering a question by going, "Yeah, of course." <laughs> Um, so what they decided to do on Soccer AM uh, was to put lots of Steven Gerrard heads on motor cars and create this. Of course. <laughs> Did you tweet it? The visual is... I'm going to tweet it out. Okay. I haven't tweeted because I want to save it for the podcast, yeah. That accent, man, that like Liverpool accent, it's so... You had trouble with it today. Yeah, a little. I was listening to Wayne Rooney speak, and I kind of almost needed... I had, it wrong for me to say that I needed subtitles? You needed me to translate. You asked me, yeah. you, you gave me the headphones and said, what's he saying here? Yeah, the end of it. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, the working class accent that is uh, oh, Liverpool... don't make it a class warfare uh, thing. Like this old is- middle class Andy... <laughs> He wouldn't know a regional accent. Can we, uh, I know you have a lot to say about Sean Dyche out at Burnley. Pretty stunning news over the weekend, and it, and it was received that way. I didn't see, a lot of times when you've got a team that's getting ready to go down and a manager is fired yeah. from that job, you'll see a little bit of mixed a mixed bag on it, but you'll usually see at least one camp being like, well, I mean, you had to see this coming, they've been poor. Yeah. I don't think I saw any of that sentiment at all. I think this was universally stunned by this decision. Yeah, and I, I, I think what has emerged in the last few days um, when people have kind of processed this was, you know, Dice was there for a decade. Modern Burnley exists because of what he did as a, as manager. Um, I suppose the, the argument is this. He deserved more time after a decade of service versus Burnley were going down with Dice. They'd stop being Burnley, as we know them, and the board had to act. And, I mean, that, that second part of the argument is not, not many people advancing that. They're pretty much saying Dice deserved to go down with the ship. But the problem with going down with the ship in Burnley's case, and maybe the reason why the owners, ALK Holdings, acted was because, sorry, excuse me, ALK Capital acted, was because of the way they structured the buyout of Burnley. So this is Matt Hughes from the Daily Mail in January. Uh, Relegation for Burnley would trigger an early repayment of a loan, Sports Mail has learned. 
AL Cap- ALK Capital secured the loan last January to help fund their £117 million purchase. The prospect of early repayment raises the stakes in their bid to avoid the drop. Mm. New owners ALK Capital secured the loan last January to help fund their £170 million pound purchase, the rest of the money coming from equity investment and the club's bank balance. So the best run club, or one of the best run clubs in uh, that are outside the elite of clubs, that kind of mush, if you had it, between the championship and the Premier League, a team that could be relegated, a lower half team, they're now not in that financial position anymore. Mm-hmm. And that early repayment triggered on relegation is what they're trying to stave off. And so they gambled, and they've gambled on going against Deitch. So what was interesting about it was, like, okay, it's a big decision to make. Had they made it a month ago, right? I think maybe there would have been more understanding. Like, you could see the direction the season was heading for Burnley. If they still had, you know, 14 games left, to salvage it, you could say, well, I don't like that they did this. Burnley yeah. is a legend for that club, but they can't get relegated. They've done it now with only, what, seven to play? Yeah. Like, have, have they left it a little too late? Well, there's an argument they could have done it when... Remember, Burnley had three or four games in hand over the rest of the relegation rivals because they missed a load of games over Christmas, and they emerged out of that in not great shape. Right. They've only won four games all season, the last one coming last week against Everton. That was their fourth win. So maybe they should have done it much earlier. Maybe it's... It's too late now. But by the way, the interesting thing about that is maybe maybe that was actually their kindness. Like maybe that was their way of saying, we probably should have sacked you mid-season. Yeah. But you're a legend here. And you have, if nothing else, you have earned yourself the right to try to get this team out of the mess that they're in. And maybe this is now the point they, that they gave him. The point of no return was, you know, they, they played 31 games and they're still in the relegation zone. And it looks like... I mean, it's still tight. They're only three points back. They have uh, they've played one more game than Everton, but so I don't know. Maybe this was the where they had to pull the ripcord. The, par- the parachute was getting too close to earth. Broader broader point would be that the mess they're in, as you described it, was created by the fact that these owners came in in a leverage takeover. This club was not in financial ruin. This club could have possibly not possibly, probably, absorbed relegation and come back up like it had done before. You think they? You think if it had not, if there was not this financial no. pitfall at the end of this for them, that they would allow, they would have allowed Deitch to take them down? You don't think they would have made any managerial move to try to I salvage think, it? I think so. Well, we'll never know. And, and, I don't know if I agree, uh, but we'll never know. I think in the pantheon of bad American football ownership in, <laughs> in European sports, this is up there with... Uh, Ellis Short at Sunderland because we saw the way that went and Mike Piazza at Reggiana two two pretty bad owners Mike Piazza have you I ever love... heard him talk about Never. what's gone on there no but you should look it up He, I think he gave a press conference over it was like over Zoom or YouTube Some recently can, I don't remember exactly when it was but I wanted to get him he, on uh, this podcast to kind of look it up he was, talk he was quite emotional uh, about what was going on there. I know, um, but... It's worth watching. The club was literally had to reconfigure itself, create a, itself anew after the way he left it. Yeah, there were issues with the stadium mm. um, that it sounds like the city were, I don't know, or whoever they were loaning the stadium from was not helpful in any way. I don't know. There was there were a lot of components to it, and he, yeah, that was not, not a good situation. No, it wasn't. Um, last thing on Deitch. So... 
in terms of him now, take Burnley out of this for a sec. I can't figure out what his future is. Obviously, he'll manage again. But his time at Burnley, did he do enough at a club that really did not, you know, like they overachieved for a long time. Did he do enough there where, he, where like, the next tier up from the Burnley type of clubs will look at him as a candidate? Or is not he, really. Or will he just be kind of a, a championship manager? Ken Early uh, compared and contrasted in his Irish Times article Graham Potter, Eddie Howe, uh, Brendan Rodgers, Sean Dyche. Well, Rodgers to me is in a different okay, tier. I'm not so sure he is. But okay. uh, we'll just take Graham Potter versus two completely different styles of play. And Potter is more likely to go upwards than Dyche is to go up and take over Brighton. Did Dyche have that moment somewhere along the way yeah. with Burnley and it just didn't... He'd, he didn't pounce on that opportunity when it might have been there, and now he kind of overstayed his welcome. Uh, I think it's more style of play, Andrew. I okay. don't think I don't think that the, the clubs above want to play that kind of football. I mean, it's not very attractive, and it's no longer winning football. Yeah, there's a championship club will have him a top, absolutely. Uh, you know, a top top tier champ. Look, they had good years in the Premier League, where you know relegation was not even a thing for them that they had to worry about. I know, uh, I know. And, and a club of Burnley's level, that's that's an impressive job but that we, he did. I know Manchester City isn't the best bellwether, but watching them against City, like, <sighs> I guarantee you, uh, well, that's not fair. Daniel let, Far- let, Daniel Fark in the past found a way to beat Manchester City. Right. Roy Hodgson Let's found judge. a way, found a way to beat. No, hang on, found a way to beat Manchester City. But in this game, you, when you saw, it was bunker in, leather it long. Knock on stuff like that, and you know, I'm just, not going to fault him for that. You you think that's a, still a legitimate way to play in, against Manchester in, City when you're Burnley? It is. Yeah, but what about all the other teams? Well, they, you're right. Fine, but I wouldn't use City as my example as to why he is the is, can't succeed again. We'll see. Speaking of uh, teams going down the other way, congrats to Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson over at Fulham as they ugh. are back. They bounce. They they officially clinch promotion. Why ugh? You're in the wrong country to be saying that. That's every American's number two. How dare you? Oh, I just. I'm happy to have them back. I enjoy. Fulham. Are you not just sick of them? No, not even a little bit. They're back up, they come again, and sure, be, I hope they stay. Be kind of rubbish, and then they'll go no, back down. No, no, no. Even if they're good, wow, this is. I, I just. You are. You're, you're. There's a darkness. No, to you. I. I have no. Uh, no, there isn't. I. I have no. You l- have not. I, no love for them. I just. I can't. As a club, they do nothing for me. They leave me empty. I like their ground. Great ground. Yeah, their supporters this, are... Uh, JJ, if you, ever, if you ever take that naturalization test, one of the questions on there is, who is every single American soccer fan's number two? And you clearly will get that wrong, and it could cost you citizenship. And I'm worried. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation now. So many American players have come through there. They hold a special place in all of our hearts. I know, so and it's, I like Dempsey. I, and like, I like the way they play, too. I like Dempsey. I like. I do like Mitrovic. McBride. 40 goals this season. That's pretty good. Good uh, for them. Yeah. This, this was a simple good for them. I didn't realize where, no, was, where you would take us. My views on Fulham are well known on the podcast. I just I can't. Maybe maybe this season they'll summon a joy in me and I'll, and I'll become a Fulham America supporter, but not right now. Well. One of us on this podcast congratulates them. They'll be back in the Premier League next season. So good for them. Well, and, and by the way, the top of the championship, Bournemouth, Huddersfield, Luton Town, Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. 
I'm trembling at the thought of Forrest coming back up. Uh, Sheffield United there as well in sixth. Millwall, a point off. Millwall. Millwall. By the way, I'm surprised when we did all this talk about Dyche and who could come in at Burnley, we didn't even do... Oh, I don't have it here. You don't have it? No, no, unfortunately. What the... Sam Allardyce, the Allardyce bat signal. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna sicken a lot of people. That omission. <laughs> uh, anyway, there'll be more championship talk in the mailbag, I believe. So. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, quickly, before we get to the mailbag, JJ, don't have a ton to say about the battle for top four, except for the fact that no one seems to want it. It's unbelievable the way this race has transpired. Um, I saw who scored on Twitter. Uh, they looked at the the candidates for for the top for that fourth spot. How they've performed over their, their form over their last six matches. Um, Tottenham right now, uh, they have 12 points from their last six matches, which would actually be good enough for fourth. Um, United, eight points from their last six matches, which would be which is 11th in that time. Arsenal, just six points from their last six matches. That would be 15th in that six-match window. And West Ham, seven points from their last six matches, uh, which would be 12th. No one... I say no one is doing the things to to get a hold of this. That's not entirely fair, <laughs> as Tottenham did play some great football yeah, to get their way back into it. But they're just it. a little bit up and down, a little bit schizophrenic. Well, they hadn't been. They hadn't been. They, ever since the Burnley loss, coincidentally enough, they had really been excellent. And then, I mean, watching their performance against Brighton over the weekend, was it was like, I mean, it, they were, it was flashbacks to a dark time. A Nuno time, a, a part of Jose's time. Um, it was, you know, even the end of Pochettino time. Like it was, it was a version of Tottenham that I know exists that we hadn't really seen in a little bit. Boy, they were. I mean, that was really, really bad. The blow of that defeat was softened somewhat by the fact that Arsenal then went right out and promptly were defeated by Southampton. It's why in this sport you can never make fun of anyone. I'm sure our Arsenal fans on Twitter were just having a, a laugh. They were, they were joyous at what was going on. Uh, between Tottenham and Brighton, and then they got their comeuppance immediately after in the next window, in the the next time slot. Um, so, I, I don't know. I guess the status quo remained. Manchester United lost today. Um, so, it's still Tottenham's to take, I think. I think so, too. Uh, Arsenal just looked... I, I, I felt that Arsenal were the candidate that would battle Tottenham, and the fact that they still play each other is massive. Um but they've just looked so. I just wonder if they've run out of gas. I, yeah, I think I think they may have, and but I just can't get over Tottenham not getting a shot on target in that game. Incredible. I can't, you know. I, look, I'm a I'm a Potter fan. I'm a Brighton uh, believer, but you know this is a team that struggles to score goals, and Tottenham were in rich goal scoring form coming into it. Yeah, very odd. Yeah, I will find out if it was a standalone um, result or if uh, – and, you know, as bad as it was, they still had that one point right within their grasp, and then Trussard scoring in the 90th was just a gut punch that was probably deserved, definitely deserved. Tottenham did not deserve to what, win that what game. A, what a lovely turn. Yeah. Eric, Eric Dyer sent to the Butchers. Yeah, I know. That was unfortunate for him. Um, so we'll see uh, – We'll see what happens next as this race continues to twist and turn. It's It's been fascinating because of its... <laughs> Mediocrity. Right. It's made it interesting <laughs> in many ways. We'll see where it goes. Uh, mailbag? Uh, there is a mailbag. We're okay. not going to do Barca, are we not? Oh, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. I skipped right over that. I'm sorry, JJ. How dare you? So, Barcelona, um, 
they had their win against Real Madrid, and the you know the Barca is back chorus was singing at full full throttle, and then since then. Uh, it has been a bumpy road for them. Very they, bumpy week. They were knocked out of the Europa League against Eintracht Frankfurt. They lost uh, to Cadiz. Is that how you say it? <laughs> One nil. I, um, I just say Cadiz okay. and have people criticize me. Fair enough. I'll take it. I went for it. I really went for it. Cadiz. Cadiz. And, uh, and all of a sudden, look, it's in the end, I, I think compared to what some of the expectations were this season— Maybe you'll still be able to consider this somewhat of a success, um, but the Barca's back crowd has maybe been quieted somewhat. Oh, I would think so. Uh, I I think they were in stunned silence after the Eintracht game, uh, because and and so were West Ham supporters who well done to West Ham who beat Leon and they were all gearing up for a, a game, having entertaining Barca at the yeah, London Stadium. That, yeah. I mean, how would the owners have looked? Gullivan, Sullivan, Brady, and Gold having promised all this. European football, big nights, Barca are coming in, it's the European semi-final. So that's been taken away from them. I know we're talking about Barca here, but you mentioned West Ham in that competition. I, I was going to bring this up to you off-air, but while oh. we're talking, I think we're. I, I think I would like to do another in the club with West Ham. Yeah. The same guy we had last time. We it did, was great. We did it at their lowest point from the West Ham way, yeah. Because I'm, I'm so curious now, uh, when they moved into that stadium, people hated it. They yeah. hated ownership for it, and ownership... Whether it was BS at the time or not, they basically said, look, if you want us to be performing at higher levels, this move needs to happen. We weren't sure if that was just to appease an angry mob or if they meant it. Maybe they've fallen ass backwards into it, but like they're kind of getting close to those levels. It's pretty incredible. So I, I'm been. sort of, I kind of want to gauge where morale, obviously morale around the club is going to be high, but around ownership in particular, I'm very curious if the tune is changing at all. Yeah. Uh, Sullivan, Gold Sullivan and Brady. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so what was I saying? Oh, yes. So the the <laughs> the Barcelona, the crowd were absolutely stunned. Well, a, quite a large portion of the crowd were stunned because they were so happy at the result. We'll get to that in a second. But there was another portion of the crowd that were the Barcelona supporting crowd, which were just, this was such a terrible, terrible um, result for them. And then to lose to Cadiz at the weekend really just kind of annoyed, um, really, really annoyed Javi. But um, John Muller had a, <laughs> you know, for, for, for those of you who want to know exactly where Barca are, um, he has a flow chart that I think it's important. It begins with, is Barcelona good? And an arrow going to, is Pedri fit? <laughs> if no, <laughs> a very frowny face. If yes, possibly the best team ever. <laughs> Now, that's obviously a little bit of an exaggeration, but not that much of an exaggeration. This kid is wonderful. He's wondrous. I was having a debate with someone online as to what kind of young player have we seen, young Spanish player, come in and make an impact at senior level so quickly for club and country. Even Cesc Fabregas, I don't think, has had quite that same impact. Um, mm, what a question. Yeah, it's a tough one. But uh, Pedri, very, very important. The the Eintracht story, though, is the most interesting Barcelona story coming out of the weekend. So, um, basically, Eintracht Frankfurt did something that was is very hard to do these days. Um, or There's only seems to be maybe a few clubs do it. And it's usually for a final where they 
get a huge allocation and then plus some. Like I think of Celtic v Porto in 2000, the 2003 Europa League final. <laughs> Celtic just completely took over the stadium by whatever means they got tickets. Mm-hmm. But um, Eintracht had 30,000 people in the new Camp. Unbelievable. That is unprecedented. It's unbelievable because their official allotment, I believe, was 5,000. Yeah, which sounds about right for, for a European game. But if you read Simon Cooper's book about uh, Barcelona, which you really should, his most recent, um, the Barcelona Complex, he talks about how the socios are season ticket holders. And a lot of them don't go to a lot of games. And sometimes, often, uh, that's why your friends can often get tickets for Barcelona matches when they go on vacation, especially when Me- oh, I got to see Messi. Right. It's like, how'd you manage that? Well, they were playing Eche or Real Zaragoza and there wasn't that many people there and we bought the tickets online. It's the socios that are selling them. So this 30,000 was a creation of Barcelona. This is their fault. Uh, Juan Laporta had this to say, the club is not to blame for what happened against Eintracht, but it is responsible. The club is not to blame for what happened against Eintracht, but it is responsible. He's, he's giving the classic line of, you know, this is not my fault, but I'm in charge, so technically it's my fault. He's oh, trying to okay. absolve himself of blame while also acknowledging that, well, I am technically in charge, so yeah, yeah. I, I need to say something that doesn't make me sound completely powerless and feeble. He goes on, we didn't sell tickets to German fans beyond the 5,000 away tickets. Sales from Germany weren't allowed, and there were many people trying to buy tickets from there. The system of control worked up to a point, but some organized groups were able to breach the mechanisms in place. We inherited the system from the previous board. We thought it would work, but we have seen for that special for that for special games it doesn't. Tickets will be now non-transferable for non-domestic matches and high-risk games. We are working on other measures so that it does not happen again. You're basically just saying. Your your shareholders sold their tickets. He says the club members are are to blame. So don't be complaining then. Yeah, I mean, look, if people aren't going to go to the game and they they want to make money for their ticket, which is understandable. I mean, a lot of us have done that. Put them on StubHub. You don't know where they're going. I guess I don't know how they how Frankfurt. This felt like a coordinated. Almost, but don't forget, this isn't the first time a German team has done this. Mm-hmm. Um, who was the team that went to Arsenal? Cologne, in- Cologne, <laughs> like it was unbelievable. Completely took over. I mean, I remember the scenes that you saw on Twitter of them marching through the streets of London, <laughs> and you thought uh, that's a lot of people without tickets. It wasn't. They all right. they all had they tickets. wound up in there. Yeah, uh, but yeah, an unbelievable scene, and I kind of, if anybody has found online, like. An article depicting the way they did this, like how. So Laporta says they had systems in place that were supposed to not make this possible. I want to see the the way. How did they manipulate it? Well, I guess how did they find I, their I way? Mean, you change in. change your IP address from. from you, you can just do that. Change. Oh, I'm in Spain now. Huh? I don't know. Maybe you can. I don't know. It's beyond my. I'm not, I barely know how to do anything on my computer other than update Chrome. Well, maybe there's something beyond Tunnel Bear, something that can tunnel. I don't even know what that is. Oh. Oh, relax! Like you're some kind of professional CIA hacker. They call me the hacker. <laughs> yeah, it was it was brilliant. And you yeah. know, Eintracht are a team with a huge following. The teams that I feel can do this, I obviously have to include Cologne now. I feel Cologne, Ein, now Eintracht Frankfurt, Celtic, uh, the Irish national team. Uh, who else will be able to do this? Liverpool, I guess. 
Glasgow Rangers. I'm sure other German clubs. It can't be a coincidence that the two recent times we've seen it are their German clubs that have done it. I'm sure that others could as well. I guess. I guess. Who knows? Anyway, mailbag? Mailbag. Let's okay. do it. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. At CO Soccer Pod on Twitter. Caughtoffside ESPN. Please follow us there. All those places. Um, so Newman, who is the head of the animals on Reddit, <laughs> Caughtoffside Animals, he sent us the uh, updated league table from the Cut Offside Podcast Fantasy Premier League table. Um, so I'm I'm just going to give you the the top the top four, uh, but some of the names are just excellent of the team. So uh, at at the top is Tim Muller with his club. It's Clopper in time. He leads. Uh, John Kaminsky is in second with the Knotspurs. <laughs> my fa- this is one of my favorites. In third, Ben Russell with How I Met Your Mata. All right. Uh, you know, I think it's good. Another good one. Uh, John Dyer, he's in fourth with Kante's Inferno. Hmm. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, let me see. In eighth place, uh, Benjamin Schnell with Earth Wind Maguire. <laughs> that, uh, That's that, pretty that good. Might be my favorite. Um, uh, ooh. Uh, Behan. No, I'm going to ruin your name, so I'm just going to say Behan. Uh, he's got uh, Ruben Left Ass Cheek. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, the rest are okay. So that is uh, top right. of, top of the league. It's floppering time. Nice. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> Iceberg. He got in touch with us via the Instagram. If possible, and it's a big if, would you give Bielsa the U.S. men's national team job <laughs> right now or stay loyal to Triple G? So I don't know for me if this is necessarily a question of loyalty. As a question of what makes sense. Thank you. Bielsa, look, of Yes, Marcelo Bielsa is a better manager, I would say. I think we would all agree on that. He's a legend. Right. Um, but, like, boy, that. I'd be. I, I'm a little worried that we don't necessarily have the personnel defensively to handle that kind of open play. I'm yeah. not saying that I. It's I not mean, that I don't like our back four. But how long would but, he have. He wouldn't have that long to work with them. Yeah. And he also. His. You know, it would be changing course now would seem risky. I mean, and that's more than just a change of course. That's, that's just a like a complete change of philosophy. <laughs> well, not. I mean, Bearhalter tries to do certain things that Bielsa does, but I mean, I, I don't know. Are we overthinking it? Are we fools to say like let's pretend Bielsa was like I'm I'm here and I'm ready. Say the word, what do you and want? we're saying ah, no, we're good. <laughs> like, are, are we are we thinking too hard? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Maybe I, I am loyal. Triple G it is. All right. Let's see. Uh, oh, Robert. On the 20th anniversary, an August anniversary, and uh, sorry, an, uh, a very important, not August, uh, maybe August. On the 20th anniversary of the release of Bend It Like Beckham, what does the film mean to you and what were Andrew and JJ doing 20 years ago? Uh, well, I can answer that second part first. 20 years ago, I was getting ready to... Graduate from high school? Yeah. What year is it? It's 2022. Yeah. I would have been getting ready to graduate from high school. Uh, Go off to college. All right. As for what the movie means to me, um, I would say it means nothing to me because I have- So maybe not so August. I have actually never (laughs) seen it. Uh, So I I have seen clips. I have not watched it in its entirety. Okay. It was in the midst of a whole, 2002 was maybe 
the middle of a whole plethora of British-made films that everybody was telling you were brilliant and that when I watched them... I have heard that it's excellent, Bend It Like Beckham. I don't know why I haven't seen it. It's just one of those things that just never happened. No, I never watched it. Um, but that that time it was... It wasn't quite... Because it was a few years after Cool Britannia, but you still had like... Uh, Snatch, films like that. I liked Snatch. I liked the gangster films um, that were coming out of England at the time. But then you also had... Like that started the whole thing, four weddings and a funeral, which never saw that either. It didn't do anything for me either. But it was a big time for English, British movies, and I didn't watch that one. Okay. Michael, what's next for Derby County? Uh, Does Rooney stick it out and continue to work towards his goal of becoming United manager there or try for a new new job in the championship division or in a different league? Rooney kind of answered that question himself. I know you've not been asked it before, but takeover happens, you stay and try and get them straight up from League One? We'll see what has to happen. If it doesn't happen, then I really fear for the club. I fear for where the club will end up. Um, Obviously, the club's future is in doubt. If that doesn't happen, my future is in doubt if that doesn't happen. So it has to. And if it does, you stay? Yeah, if it happens, then, as I said, I want to rebuild the club. And you see what the fans, what it means to fans every week. Um, So this is a special club. A big club, we're all proud to be here, and um, I want to be the one to try and bring that, that them happy days back. That was him talking after losing to uh, QPR and Derby, giving up their pretty brave fight against relegation, considering they've been deducted 21 points or 20, like crazy amount. Uh, 21 points, it was, yeah, yeah. Two separate um, infractions, and one of them for going into administration. So basically they're bankrupt and they need a new owner. Mm-hmm. And he wants to stay and take them up from League One and build the club, which is kind of impressive. Admirable. If, R- if he, true, we'll see what happens. Well, he refused to take to interview for the Everton job. He wanted to finish the work he was in, and he didn't feel it was the right time for him. So, as you know, he's kind of in contrast to the Lampard model, where you get handed. Well, I know Lampard had the Derby job too, but where you you go you go to derby and you do okay and then you get the chelsea job uh, rooney seems to be taking a longer uh, apprenticeship in management he also met the fans the video has gone viral it looked like in the in a parking lot after the game um the travelling fans and spoke to them and thanked them and said how uh, appreciative he was of them and um how he wanted to help the club get back to where it needed to be but they're going to hammer i mean they need a they need a uh, they need someone to buy the club. They're gonna they're gonna hemorrhage money as well. Um, they're gonna hemorrhage players for League One. So you're gonna have uh, some serious. I mean, I don't know what the current situation is in League One right now, but you could have Sunderland and Derby in League One, which is yeah. kind of amazing. Big Two clubs, huge clubs, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's Wayne Rooney, and that's the mailbag, and that is caught offside for this week. Lots of midweek action. More Premier League on Wednesday. U.S. Open Cup is going on. Uh, And obviously this weekend, more to come as well. Um, That's about all I got, my friend. That was was a good podcast. Feel good about it? Good. I'm glad. I do feel good about it. A bit bit disappointed you didn't have the Allardyce drop for the fans. I know. I know. They get angry about these things, and I have to hear about it. And they're right to on this occasion. I I didn't know Allardyce was going to come up on this podcast. Why would he? Forever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Always, there's a job open at a at a kind of 
team that's between the championship and the Premier League. I would love one of the... Um, I feel bad assigning work to the animals. Right. They don't work for us. They, they, but they've done a good job with some like artwork. I would. Lo- I think it would be nice. Uh, it'd be fun for them to create. What What does the Allardyce bat signal look like? What would the shadow be of Allardyce? It would be. I would say r- rotund. Yeah. Um, um, and with him holding a pint of wine in one hand. Oh, okay. We'll see. Maybe the animals can can come up with some artwork. Busy animals. They've they've done some great work. Are we forgetting anything before we get out? Probably. I mean, the sport is out of its mind. <laughs> There's so many things always happening. It's we'll get true. to them next week. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Hey, this was fun, my friend. To you, I say... Take you later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 